The information contained in this podcast is an expression of opinion and does not constitute investment advice. This is the Gold Money Podcast with Dominic Frisby, keeping you up to date with expert opinion on precious metals and the markets. Hello and welcome to the Gold Money Podcast with me, Dominic Frisby, hosted in association with Frisby's Bulls and Bears. Now, I'm sitting in Portcullis House, which is located in Westminster, right next to the Houses of Parliament, and I'm sitting in the offices of Douglas Carswell, and there, as evidence, we hear Big Ben chiming in the background. Um, Doug, having first stood for Parliament against Tony Blair, of all people, as the Conservative Party candidate for Sedgefield in 2001, Doug Carswell was first elected to the UK Parliament in 2005 as the Conservative MP for Clacton, an advocate of political reform and a recent convert to the Austrian School of Economics. He's the author of the book The Plan, 12 Months to Renew Britain. In 2009, the Daily Telegraph nominated him a Briton of the Year and Spectator readers voted him Parliamentarian of the Year. Prior to politics, he worked in commercial television and then fund management. He blogs every day at talkcarswell.com and you can follow him, as I do, on Twitter at Douglas Carswell. Now, Douglas, thank you very much, firstly, for coming on and agreeing to do this interview. Um, If we can start off, when the coalition first came to power and first made noises about what they were going to do. Um, abroad, uh, they were praised and, uh, in, and people in the States were saying, look at what England are doing, they're, they're, they're cutting back, they're doing the right thing. And yet many of those promises haven't really been realised. So let's start on a positive note. What, what do you think the coalition, coalition has got right? And then we can discuss perhaps what you think they've got wrong. I think the you know, I was an early supporter of the idea of the coalition. I was an early advocate of a coalition. Um, I thought it would mean a profoundly different government. And I thought it would allow us to make some uh, uh, profound changes to the way this country is is, is run. And heaven, heaven knows we need to change in this country. Um, I think there are some things that um, are, are very positive. For example, um, the um, police reforms. People in this country are now able to control their police chiefs, something that we've not been able to do uh, previously. Um, on education, there is a, a, a lot of uh, positive reform being done by Michael Gove. But when it comes to economic issues, uh, what has changed? Um, we uh, were critical of Gordon Brown's stewardship of the economy, and yet under the coalition, we have a policy of continuity Brown. All the key macroeconomic settings have remained unchanged. Uh, We have gone from a Labour administration to a uh, a Conservative-led coalition administration, but the uh, Treasury policy has remained unchanged. And, you know, if you run the economy the way Gordon Brown did, you end up in the same mess that he did. Well, your most recent uh, blog post was uh, a top ten of coalition economic contractions. Um, Contradictions. uh, uh, Sorry, (laughs) a little slip there, but uh, I suppose a legitimate one under the circumstances. Um, Why don't we talk about some of those contradictions? Because you raised some very interesting points. Mm Um, the, the the first one is is the belief that low interest rates will increase the supply of credit. Well, the reason why I wrote this blog is because the Chancellor um, hit out at um, 
his critics, who he said were being contradictory in their criticisms. Uh, uh, with respect, I've been really quite critical of the way that the Treasury team is running things, and I think actually uh, my objections are fairly coherent. Um, I think it is the government's continuity-brown approach that is riddled with contradictions. And any free market economist ought to understand that if you uh, lower the price of something artificially, you reduce the incentive of providers to provide it. It's no different with credit. If you reduce the price of credit, interest rates, and if you artificially depress them, there is very little incentive for people to provide credit. And there's very little incentive to save. And, and this is exactly what's happened. Um, right at the heart of our, our, our credit and banking and money system, we have a constraint on the market allocation of credit. And hey, presto, the government this very day announced that it's going to artificially allocate uh, the credit that its own policies are preventing the market from supplying. It's, it's a, a, an extraordinarily uh, contradictory position. So do you think if the market was setting rates, interest rates would be higher? And do you think as a result there'd be a greater demand for credit? I think so. I mean, it's difficult to imagine what it would look like. We're so used to, since 1971, having uh, you know, central banks and corporate banks uh, controlling the supply of credit. It's difficult to know what it would look like. But if we look at other markets where we've got rid of government constraints. Um, when you remove price controls, generally speaking, you get a, a, a price that uh, you know suits what, what what's needed in order to uh, satisfy demand. That's not happening at the moment. Um, let's skip to number four because it's a good one: rebalancing an economy built on excessive consumption by encouraging more consumption. <laughs> Isn't it extraordinary how? Keynes said, uh, when the facts change, I change my mind. But the contemporary uh, adherence to the Keynesian orthodoxy uh, seeming capable of doing so and taking his advice. And, you know, we are trying to stimulate consumption in order to stimulate growth. And yet one of the reasons why the West is in this mess, and by the way, let's not talk about a global economic uh, crisis or a global financial crisis. It's a Western problem. Why is the West in this mess? The West is in this mess because we have overconsumed. We have run a credit and monetary policy that has stimulated overconsumption. And you're not going to solve that problem by, uh, you know, I'll, I'll just solve this question. Since 1971, why in this country and throughout the West have we been so good at building shopping malls, but less good at building factories? Perhaps it's to do with the credit policies that stimulate overconsumption. And, and you know, how is overconsumption going to fix this problem? It's not. Um, OK, let's I, I, I couldn't agree more. So I'm, I have no comment. I'll just move on to the next the, the next one. Um, I like number six, raising taxes supposedly to pay down debt, but spending the additional revenue raised. Isn't it extraordinary? This government came in um, saying, you know, they were going to be very sensible and they were going to be prudent and they were going to try and balance the books. And in order to do this, they were, you know, at some future date, they were going to cut spending. But in the short term, they were going to raise taxes. And, you know, um, anyone who objected was, was told quite categorically that it was irresponsible. They needed to raise this extra revenue, raise the tax thresholds in order to close the deficit. Well, you know, they very successfully raised taxes. Um, but, you know, they seem to have spent the additional revenue on uh, excessive increased uh, spending. You know, I think there is something about the Western government model that makes the government unable to help itself. It simply cannot actually pay down debt. And any extra revenue it gets, it, it, it blows. 
And, you know, if it wasn't so serious, it would be, you know, comically funny. It's the sort of Laurel and Hardy economics. What, what do you think is going to happen? I think your understanding of, of, of the economic problems that we face uh, is in tandem with, with what most of our listeners think. We're worried about unsound monetary policies, excess debt, malinvestment. But there's only so much a politician can do. We're going to address what you're going to do in a, in, or what you've already proposed well, in a moment. But, I mean, what do you actually think is going to happen? How long can this misallocation carry on for? I, what is I, in I, store? I think we're, we're, we're entering the, the, the last days of the post-Bretton Woods system. Now, you know, let's not be too empirical and rational uh, about this. Just because something doesn't work, it doesn't stop people from doubling up on their errors. You know, just because a system of running the economy is catastrophic, it doesn't mean that people don't carry on making things worse. However, I, I think, you know, m- my own view is that the, that the crisis that's affecting the euro it's not purely a European problem. It's actually the first of a series of crises affecting paper currency. The euro, if you like, is the archetypal uh, fiat currency. It's a paper money that doesn't even have a state. Um, it's not going to be the first paper currency to fold. You're on the inside. I mean, one of the beauty... We, I talk to so many commentators. It's very rare I get an opportunity to talk to somebody who's actually on the inside. How much talk is there of, of monetary reform? I'm glad you think I'm on the inside. Well, <laughs> I, I, feel, I feel rather on the outside. I mean, the, the, the tragedy is that, of course, um, the people that you elect to parliament don't really decide monetary policy in this country. We have um, a, 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 a Bank of England and a Treasury um, stuffed full of technocrats who make monetary policy with no reference. Do you ever talk to Mervyn King? Yeah, absolutely not. I, I... Do you ever talk to George Osborne? <laughs> Once or twice. Um, but you know, even then, I, I don't think ministers are anything more than the the, 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 the front men, the ministerial the, uh, ministers are, if you like, sort of the departmental mouthpieces. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think it would be helpful if we look back to the 1970s in this country. In the 1970s, um, the orthodox establishment, and by the establishment I mean, you know, the senior civil service, the treasury, the Bank of England, all had a certain set of assumptions about economics and about the merits of fiscal stimulus. They turned out to be hopelessly wrong and uh, pretty disastrous. Um, I I think we are, at the moment, the establishment in this country is testing to destruction the idea of, of monetary stimulus, much as in the 1970s we tested to destruction the idea of fiscal stimulus. Something will give eventually. Um, we will reach a moment in, in, in the 70s, it was the so-called winter of discontent, we will reach a moment like that, no, not directly analogous with that, but like that, uh, when um, you know it becomes obvious that the status quo has failed and we're making the patient worse by giving it, the economy uh, yet more cheap credit. We haven't yet reached that stage. My, my main interest is, is to do what um, the great Milton Friedman advised, which is to uh, promote ideas and alternatives so that even, even the wrong person in the job eventually has to do the right thing. Eventually, maths mean uh, monetary policy is going to have to change. Um, I suppose that's my next question, is, 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 is how much can a politician do? I mean, you're... I suppose, on the foothills of politics, if you like, and there are the, some of those, you know, who are much higher up the ladder. But even those, you sometimes wonder, you know, how much can D- David Cameron or George Osborne or someone actually do? Well, if you I mean, had... Uh, yeah. If you had a Thatcher-type figure who came in and rea- realised um, that the status quo was unsustainable and had a 
coherent alternative, in this case I think it would be a coherent Austrian uh, school um, alternative, then I think you could do a great deal. But, you know, we're, we're a long way from that. Um, but, you know, eventually that is going to have to happen. Um, eventually. We need to bust first, though. Well, I, I hope not. Oh, sorry, that's the division bell. Um, um, or What does that mean, the division bell? That, that, that's to indicate that the uh, House of Commons chamber has just stopped sitting. Ah, so um, we won't be going on until the early hours of the morning. Um, I, look, I've only been a politician for six or seven years, but in the time that I have, I've learned one thing about politicians, and that is they very rarely do the right thing because they see the light, but because they feel the heat. And I think they're about to feel the heat big time. My aim is to make sure that when that moment comes there is an alternative script for them to grab hold of. And, you know, in the 1970s, um, they grabbed hold of the script called monetarism. What we're seeing now is the discredit of, and discrediting of the sort of the monetarist idea. Uh, we need a post-monetarist alternative. Um, at some point, they will grasp around for an alternative. Heaven forbid that it should be the Ed Miliband uh, alternative. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I hope they will grab hold of an Austrian alternative. Uh, so do I. And I, I'm, I'm, I've got a million and one questions I want to ask you. I suppose the first one is, is I mean, there's a great debate going on. Is, is the private sector the answer to all this or is the government the answer to all this? And at the end of the day, I think both of us would agree that the private sector is. Sure. But I don't think, you know, if I listen to, you know, radio phone-ins and things like that, it doesn't seem that the, the public think that the government is the... Uh, the public think the government is the answer to a, to a great deal I, of this. I disagree. I think... Um, there are some profound changes in the, the popular zeitgeist. Yeah. Um, let me put it like this. Um, the, the, the internet and the digital revolution are changing uh, many cultural assumptions about... We're just going to close that. There's all sorts of interesting sound effects going on in here. That, that was a, a plane, hopefully not a bomber flying over. Um, the, the internet is changing a lot of... Um, assumptions about um, the role of government. Um, I think it's making, um, it's shifting the centre of political gravity quite profoundly in this country. Um, I think that in a, an internet-based democracy, um, people are going to be much less deferential to government and to officialdom. And I think people are much less trusting of people in positions of authority. We're yeah. beginning to see that. Um, you know, th Ultimately, if you believe in arranging economic affairs and human social affairs according to grand designs, um, I think your days are numbered. I think um, the future is very Hayekian. It's, um, it's about collectivism, but without the state. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm actually quite optimistic. I, I, I think that we're about to see some massive shifts in what is politically acceptable. I, I feel the same way. I can't help feeling optimistic, but uh, I feel we have lower to sink before we, we rise well, higher. Maybe, just, just bear one thing in mind. Nobody in Greece ever stood on a manifesto commitment to get rid of their cradle-to-grave welfare system. The laws of maths, however, uh, always prevail. And, you know, politicians will often say, this is or this isn't politically acceptable. You know, the laws of maths are going to decide what's doable. Okay, let me... How, just going back to what we were talking about a moment before, how accurate a representation of British politics, and there's Big Ben again, is yes, Prime Minister and yes, Minister? Is, is, are those portrayals where every time anyone attempts to do something, the civil service get in the way somehow? A a absolutely. Um, I think um, 
the yes minister uh, stereotype um, was was humorous in the 80s. It's not so funny now. Um, in department after department, um, it's pretty clear that the people who, who really determine public policy are the permanent officials. And there are a few exceptions. Um, you know, I think when it comes to education, when it comes to uh, policing reform, you've seen a, a very determined minister going in and managing to uh, control the machine. But you know, in, in most cases, uh, it's the machine that runs the minister. Okay, if I can just ask you two questions, and these are about two two bills you've, you're, you're putting through, which I, I you know, I, I don't mean to sound too flattering, but I think they're both um, strokes of genius uh, because they actually stand a chance of getting through because they're not what's the word? They're not glossy. Um, but l- let's just talk first about your banking reform bill. Why don't you quickly outline that and tell us how well, it's progressing? I- let me explain why these two bills came about in the first place. I thought very long and hard about it, given the uh, what I see as the post-1971 mess that we're in, given given what I think is uh, 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 the failure of a sort of 40-year uh, system of paper money and the failure of a, a system of banking and credit. Um, you know, I've been very strongly influenced by uh, Professor Cueta de Soto and some of his, his, his work. I, I sort of thought long and hard, what can one do about it? And when it came to banking reform, I thought, you know, there's something profoundly wrong with the system of fractional reserve banking. But then I thought, hang on a second, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of this fatal conceit. I'm supposing that I can design a better system and I can invent a banking architecture that's, that's even better than, than what the experts can decide. And I thought, this is nonsense. Actually, surely a Hayekian ought to understand that the way to reform the banking system is to allow organic uh, innovation and evolution. So I then thought rather than, you know, trying to constrain fractional reserve banking, goodness knows what the consequence of that would be, or rather than trying to create, you know, artificial distinctions between uh, retail banking and institutional banking, uh, investment banking rather, um, I thought I could create a, a, an, uh, an evolutionary uh, system. And it's very simple. I suggest that from tomorrow, whenever anyone in this country opens a bank account, they must tick a box and it must indicate uh, whether or not legally uh, they own the uh, uh, money uh, that they deposit with the bank or whether or not the bank uh, retains ownership uh, of, of, of the money. Since um, 1848 in this country, it was confirmed in a ruling by the law lords in the House of Lords that when you deposit money in a bank, it is property of the bank. Certainly, as the uh, bank account owner, you own a legal claim to that money, but that is all you own. You don't actually own the money. Um, If you created this um, distinction, you would, in effect, create a a division in banking, not between some artificial notion of what constitutes retail banking and investment banking. You would create two-tier banking within existing structures. Now, you would, first of all, organically settle the question of what capital reserve ratios should be. If you were a trusted bank, more people would tick the box that said that the bank could own uh, the the money. In other words, if you're a good bank, you could carry on doing fractional reserve banking. Uh, on if if you brought in this system, I think it would also allow the state to say very clearly that it's it's not going to carry on these uh, deposit guarantee schemes that have have um, distorted the uh, relationship between risk and and reward. Um, it would allow the state to say that it's only going to guarantee um, um, 
some aspects of the banking system. And you would, you know, I, I, I think have a sort of an organic constraint against the worst excesses of fractional reserve banking without getting rid of fractional reserve banking entirely. And I, I, I'm not happy with those who say that we've got to scrap fractional reserve banking because I, I feel that the consequences. But doing it this way, I think, would allow you to put a, a, a market-driven organic constraint upon the worst excesses of fractional reserve banking. Absolutely. So I open a bank account and basically I give the bank permission to lend my money out or I don't. Yeah, absolutely. And I, presumably you would pay two different rates. Sure. I mean, I suspect uh, most people would wise up to the fact that under... Um, the uh, current arrangements in Britain, there's no such thing as uh, 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 free, free banking, free banking um, and you have to pay for a service. Um, but, you know, at the moment, it makes no sense because since 1979 or was it 78, we've had a deposit guarantee scheme. Um, that basically means that, you know, if you deposit 20, 30,000 pounds, it's actually irrational for you to get any interest on it at all because there's no risk of you losing it. You know, it would restore a bit of uh, sanity to the banking system. Yeah, uh, risk of loss is very important, as is, 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 is as important as, as potential gain, yeah. potential loss. Um, uh, how far have you got with the bill? How much, I mean, I, I the imagine... Bill, the bill's dead. I mean, the bill, oh. the bill's dead, and I used a vi- the same vehicle for both things um, to promote it, to, 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 to bring it before the House. You're familiar, I hope, with the, the concept of, of ideas as memes, as, yes. as um, things with a sort of self-replicating life of their own. Um, my main interest was to get the meme out there. And the fact that, you know, two years afterwards or 18 months after the bill was proposed, you know, to my delight and surprise, um, more than 12,000 people have looked at it on YouTube and we're sitting here talking about it. Yeah. The meme is spreading. And I think eventually someone will... You know, will, when, you, will you reintroduce the bill or something? I, I very much hope to. Um, I hope a government does, um, preferably before the crash rather than after it. Okay. But you know, the vicar's reforms are totally inadequate. The unintended consequences of the vicar's reforms are going to be, I think, really difficult to deal with. No one's really understood what we need to do to reform the banking system. No one's really come up with a coherent idea. I hope eventually that these reforms will be will be the way forward. Can we very quickly discuss your other bill for yep. um, the currency competition yep. bill? Is that dead in the water as well? It is. But, but the meme um, is spreading. It's, it, the meme is spreading. It's, it's sort of dead, but I, I suspect so long as we've got fiat currency, the idea of competing currency is going to have many more than nine, nine lives. And, <laughs> I'm not the first person to suggest competing currencies, but I think the internet's a, a game changer here. Um, the all, the problem with the, uh, competing currencies in the past was always, you know, um, were you really going to walk around with uh, all sorts of different money? In a, a digital age, people um, can pay for things. Um, you know, I, I was today on the internet buying some uh, Peppa Pig uh, DVDs for my three-year-old daughter, I hasten to add, um, who, <laughs> who, um, who, and I think I paid for it in dollars. Um, yeah. I think I logged onto the American site. You know, my bank can deal with that at, at, yeah. at tiny cost. Digital, the digital revolution basically means that we can shop around for money. And I think it's going to profoundly change our idea of what constitutes money and what constitutes a means of exchange and a store of wealth. And once, once the full implications of that are understood, weirdly, they're actually being stood, understood in, in countries like Kenya and Uganda with the M-Pesa system and, 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 and mobile payments. But once, once the implications of being able to pay for things without big banks attached yeah. are understood in this country, I, I think the door will open to currency competition. Um, at the moment, everyone living on this island is, in effect, um, unable to escape from the, the George Osborne pound. In America, they're unable to escape from the tyranny of the Barack Obama dollar. 
Um, once you've got competing currencies, if you want to store your wealth in a currency that's well managed and not debauched to pay for big government, um, you'll be able to do so. Very good. All right. Well, Doug, I mean, it, is it frustrating knowing that some of your ideas will never just being a promoter of ideas rather than an actual realiser of ideas? Does that kind of get you down at all? Or? Not at all. I think politics is a little bit like making films. You, 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 you can either try to be the actor, um, you know, the big name on the silver screen, or yeah. you can try to write the script. Um, I, I'm in politics because I want to try and write uh, a script that'll make a blockbuster. Um, I let other people with a, um, a, 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 a you know, um, film star matinee idle looks uh, <laughs> speak, speak the words I put in their mouth you, you, you write some pretty stern things on your blog do you do you do you I want did, did the powers that be get cross with you not at all not at all I mean I before I got into the House of Commons I, I worked in the policy unit and I reported to David Cameron uh, um, I did a lot of work in the run up to the uh, 2005 manifesto I never personalise my criticisms and I'm saying what I believe because I believe it and you know I'm not I'm not doing it to cause trouble because I wish anyone uh, uh, ill yeah I want them to do the right thing um, and I think if you I also try and be nice to people and I think if you're um, if you're trying to be nice to people and you um, are honest in your criticisms it's very difficult for them to be anything other than um, well it's difficult for them to get across in government we have you we have Steve Baker uh, that's two out of how many MPs? 650. 650. Uh, anyone else coming around to your, to your way of thinking? There are some. There are some. Um, I, I've been in situations before when I'm trying to promote an idea that um, was seen as incredibly um, ultra and outrageous. Yeah. Um, ten years ago, almost the day I published a pamphlet suggesting that we should have directly elected police chiefs in this country, um, the legislation has take, took effect two months ago and the elections are being held in November. Um, when I first proposed that idea, everyone said, you're, you're utterly mad. Um, stage two, they said, um, it's a good idea, but it wouldn't work anyway. Stage three, they tell you it was their idea all along. When it comes to economic reform, um, we're at stage one. Everyone's saying, you know, this is this stuff's completely mad. Um, it's not going to be long before long before they say it was their idea all along. Um, <laughs> and you know, uh, as Ronald Reagan once said, if you're willing to let other people take the credit, you can do a lot of good in politics. I'm, I'm more than happy for um, you know uh, 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 a future chancellor to um, introduce a, a, a proper Austrian approach to the economy. Um, if it means that my child uh, will not spend their life paying off uh, vast government debts i'll be more than happy well who knows maybe maybe that chancellor will be you <laughs> I, I doubt it i'm afraid how many followers do you followers do you have on twitter i've just short of ten thousand. um i mean that's pretty good and and how many politicians are on twitter actively i mean i know she's not a politician anymore louise mensch was yeah louise mensch um louise was phenomenal she had um she had um about um i think uh, sixty thousand. Um, but you can get that, a gig on news tonight. Presumably, your your following will. will well, if I go. can get Rupert Murdoch to appear in front of me in a select committee and have someone throw a, 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 a custard pie at him, I might I might really get that. <laughs> but but no, on a serious note, I mean, I mean, but, I, mean I don't want to bring you down, but yeah. you've got ten thousand followers, which is pretty good. Mm. But somebody you know, a another not particularly good comedian might have two million. Yeah, yeah. And so that that's the kind of well, 
I wouldn't be too down. I mean, the thing I'm the thing I'm most proud of is, is not. Really I've got seven hundred and fifty, so you're doing better than me. But the thing I'm really I'm most proud of is, is uh, my blog site, which is talkcarswell.com. Yeah. Um, and I last month I had about twenty seven thousand unique uh, readers on there. Yeah. And it's Twitter doesn't necessarily. It's let me put this way: it's kind of difficult to explain uh, Austrian economics in one hundred and forty characters. Yeah. Uh, the blog, however, allows me to do that. You don't really need, when you're trying to get a meme out there, you don't really need uh, volume. You need um, you need a, 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 to get a, a small number of people to, 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 to understand and it yeah. sort of cascades from there. But, you know, have you it, followed, have you read, um, what is it, Tipping Point, that describes how, a, okay. And on that note, um, in, I'm shamelessly uh, promoting, promoting something here, but in order to try to get some of these ideas out there to a wider audience. I've, I've got a book coming out in uh, in October called uh, The End of Politics and the Birth of Our Democracy. And it's trying to explain in a very accessible way why the West is in this mess, why no Western leader seems to really understand what we need to do about it and what we need to do about it. It's actually a very optimistic book because I think short-term things are going to be horrible, Yeah, but it's because things are so bad they're going to have to change. I've got a book coming out on exactly the same subject, so we, oh, we, we, we can compare ideas. Uh, well, I'm, I'm just doing the edits now, but hopefully before the end of the year, oh, you'll, you'll, be, you'll beat me to the fantastic. you'll beat me to the bookshop. Um, please come on the show when you're promoting the book in you know later this year, and and, and, and we can talk about it. I'd love um, to. Douglas. One last question: Do you own any gold? <laughs> I don't want to sound like a gold bug, but um, um, I. Uh, I practice what I preach. Good. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Good luck with everything. Um, we'll, uh, you know, uh, we're, we're part of the same crusade, if you like. And um, why don't you plug your Twitter feed and your website one more time? Yep. Um, you can follow me and it'd be wonderful to hear from any listeners um, at uh, my uh, Twitter feed, which is at Douglas Carswell, or um, have a look at my blog, which is talkcarswell.com. Brilliant stuff. Douglas Carswell, thank you very much. Thank you so much. Subscribe to the Gold Money newsletter at www.goldmoney.com to receive email updates on new articles, videos and iTunes podcasts from our Gold Research section. Gold Money.